On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be joined by Paul Durbin, who is Chief Marketing Officer at the National Lottery and the author of Run With Foxes. We're going to talk about a couple of things. We'll cover the importance of being brave. We'll talk about consumer and customer research, and we'll talk about measurement and metrics, amongst lots of other things. So join me as I meet Paul Durbin only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said in the intro, it's going to be a good one. And this could be a long one because we've got two talkers on the on the phone today. Um, so I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Durvin. So before we get started, Paul, how are you doing? How's things? How's life? Uh, good, good, Dave. All all is well. Just hanging in there, trying to survive. I know, I know, I know exactly. I know exactly how you feel, and um, and I said this off mic, but yeah, c- congrats on the book. It's a great. It's a couple of years now, but it's a great read, and uh, I, I empathise with a lot of a lot of the things and the honesty in it. So, um, I'm trying not to keep you too long. So let's crack on, um, and let's sure. let's start at the at the beginning um, of the title of the book because when it comes to ideas, and you talk about Philip Tetlock's, he categorises people into two different types of people: as hedgehogs or foxes. So. Maybe not everybody has read the book. So could you just give me a quick difference between the two, Hedgehog and a Fox, for context? Yeah. So so uh, Philip Tetlock wrote this wonderful book a number of years ago. Um, and what he really tried to do is is see who who are good, or were there characteristics of people good at, at uh, predicting the future, you know, so an outcome. And if you think about what marketing is, is all about, it is trying to predict when we do things can we you know can we guess or calculate with some level of of some level of accuracy what will happen you know and then that's that's what we base all our decisions on and make mm-hmm. our bets on and and he this large scale um piece of research um and what he found really was when when you look at these professional forecasters is there was one major difference between those who were better versus those who were less good and that major difference was those who are better were more likely to be able to change their minds. They were they they had lots of ideas and they could come at it from lots of different ways and they could flex. And those who were less good were very much attached to a big idea and an ideology a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And when they were faced with evidence or data suggested that they were wrong, they were less able to change their predictions and change their minds and 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 so that's essentially so the the hedgehogs were those with one big idea and they saw the world through one big lens and then foxes were these people who were able to change their minds because they had multiple ways in Mm. Uh, and that was the that was the genesis of it and and i was a big fan of this stuff and i'm a fan of kind of decision making in general and i felt it had a very strong um it, it, I felt very strongly that it, it it this this turns up in the marketing world an awful lot, and that's mm. kind of where the where the where the title came from. Yeah, and I, I totally agree because we were chatting again earlier, and I, and I think yeah, I was I could see a lot of my own faults and some of that thing being wedded to the big idea and and the ability to to change your mind and, and be open to change your mind is. I think something that you have to learn the hard way. But um, there's a lovely line in the book, um, which which is borrowed from Tim Ambler, and, and I'll quote it directly. It says, marketers prefer to make the runs and keep the score. And look, there's no doubt about it. M- making the runs is is crucial in, in marketing because those runs, are, are maybe those big campaign ideas, they're crucial. But if you're not keeping score, the whole thing is pretty pointless. So 
how do you go about keeping score generally and, you know, making sure that your marketing works? And particularly, maybe for smaller clients, you've worked in lots of different companies, so it, it, for smaller clients, not just for you specifically, but smaller clients, if you don't have massive budgets for econometrics um, or that kind of stuff, and you can't do monthly brand tracking, how do you go about keeping score generally for, for if you're smaller? Yeah, yeah, and and Professor Ambler is impressive because his, like his background was he was originally an accountant, and then he became this majorly successful marketer, and then he became a professor of of marketing in like the business school of economics, but the or London school of economics. But the um, well, like what I'd say is that there's another interesting quote from from Tim Ambler, which his definition of brand equity, which I which I use and like. And and he 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 refers to brand equity as it's what people hold in their heads about uh, carry in their heads about your brand. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what it is. And essentially, if you think about brand equity, it is the number of people and how much they carry in their heads about your brand. It's it's hard to argue to do any kind of investment in brand activity if you're not going to try and measure the progress in what you're carrying in the heads of people. Mm-hmm. Because it, un, unless it's overtly successful from day one in terms of real sales, um, it's going to get canned at some stage. Like, it's just, it, it's, someone's going to pull the plug. And uh, and so, uh, the, the when it comes to tracking, I, I think it's important to be really clear on what are the things that are important. And then it's worth doing the hard work up front to figure out, like there's a lot of metrics that move at size. Mm-hmm. So if you're, a, if you're a big brand, all metrics are going to look better for you. Like even mm-hmm. brand equity metrics, how many people like you, what they think about you will all be bigger just because of this double jeopardy of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, but I do think like, like I do think you really shouldn't be doing any kind of, brand investment if you if you're not going to you can't track it well if you're not going to make efforts to figure out whether you're making progress or not mm-hmm. um now if you're a smaller brand like if, where i would go to if i didn't have huge budgets is uh like i was a smaller brand and was trying to figure things out i i would go to the category entry points which is the measurement that that um jenny romanek and the and the the um the marketing yeah. professors in 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 Ehrenberg Bass, mm-hmm. which is so it's mental availability, but it's the measure of mental availability, and I like that because it's specific. And you could say, right, well, what are the most important entries into the into the category, uh, and and not spend huge amount of monies money trying to figure out how you do for those entry points, and then tackle your marketing activity against those first and foremost, because okay. you will there's a tighter line between movement there and sales mm-hmm. and and that's how i would go that's what i would i would advise that to any brand to be honest with you mm. i think that's a fair shout like is we are ultimately talking about investment in brands so if you're if you're it it, it possibly should you, it's a definite um kind of prere- prerequisite should you say that if, if you're going to be thinking about investing in your brand you have to at the very least be able to identify how you're going to measure that so yeah so i think it's i think it's a fair yeah. point if you've got that money to invest you need to make sure that you can whatever way it is yeah. measure it yeah but like no no one's going to hand their money over there's a great quote um there's a great quote which is um in god we trust uh everyone else must bring data and and i like the, the, it's hard to ask anyone to put money somewhere if you can't explain mm whether you're making progress and ideally that that progress will lead to you know like some sort of revenues and profit mm. 
Yeah, we have loads of data now. So now not all that data is helpful or useful, and but a lot of it comes in in real time. So there can be too much. And data points are generated due to digital activity hourly, you know, daily, and and with 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 the with the availability of data becomes the the, the urge to analyze that data. We we see it all the time in terms of the amount of time spent reporting on things. But when you think about that's predominantly short term data metrics. So when you think about the long and short term, I, mean, I do think we live in interesting times now, yet this debate still goes on. This low, and you would be well familiar with the, the Institute's work or even other contributors to the industry um, a bit in the field. Like, I, I, I find it hard sometimes to think, to, to think that this debate is still going about long and short term, to trying to argue the benefits of long versus short term. And there's lots of evidence, but yet it seems to be ignored. It, it, why is that, do you think? Yeah, I think um, it, it does tend to get ignored, or or at least not not really get the time it should get. Um, like you need both. You, you you need to understand the short term um, impact of what you're doing, and you you do need to think about the long term impact. And you know, if you look at the stuff from Peter Field and Lesbonet, you know, they're arguing for both. You know, they're they're saying the balance is good, and actually one supercharges the other. Um, and there's also time periods. Like, for example, if you're a startup, it's completely feasible that you might spend the first year and a half, two years just doing everything you can to bring in the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. and, and you know, like do everything which is considered short-term. And and on the basis that you you just need money to keep keep going. Um, but the, if you're successful, if you're, if you're becoming successful, there will be a stage most likely where either competitors come in and start to steal some of the low-hanging fruit, or the low-hanging fruit is not as low as it was, and and then you're going well. Actually, now all those short-term metrics are beginning to flatline, mm. and and now how do how do we grow? And and the answer is you probably should have been started investing in the brand a year before that happened. Uh, but but you can understand how that that is the case. So I, I I'm not sure why people ignore it. I do know that it is it can be quite difficult to persuade people to invest in the long term. But this goes back to your first question, which is if you aren't going to measure mm. properly any kind of long term, like what you need to show is if 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 I grow, for example, mental availability through category entry points, if I grow those and I've got a, a pretty good bet that growing those will improve sales, then you've got some clear thinking. Mm. If you don't have those two steps in place, you can understand what people say. Well, like mm. uh, you know, it's that's a problem for the future. Let's not let's like you know. There's a quote which is I got to eat today. You know, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see how that that is that is the case. Um, also, it's it's um, there's an un, there's an unfortunate unfortunate piece that the metrics in the short term are not this, they they can work against you in the long term. Mm. So, like if you want to spend all your money right here and now in short-term sales activation and, and like price promotions and narrow the reach of your of who's going to see it you you know you might get that that short burst but then once you once you pull out the money and go back to your ordinary prices yeah. you may see all that drop again a drop again so unfortunately you have the inverse where where the things that work in the short term don't necessarily work as quickly in the long term mm. so it can be deceptive you know yeah um now we we and we'll dip in and out of 
personal stories is one of the things about the book that I loved is your 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 honesty and your your personal stories. So during your time um in O2, you launched Forty Eight the Network, the Young People's Network, um, shall we say? Yeah. Um and, and I love I love the I th- I'll be honest, at the time I just thought it was weird. I didn't get it. Like because I think I was working in Vodafone at the time. I didn't get I just didn't get what it was. I knew it was a a, a mobile network for younger people, but I, I was kind of lost with the advertising and that from reading some of your, your points in the book was potentially by design to well to lose people. I probably no, I was too old for it even then. Um but this but this perceived scarcity, which is which is a wonderful trick and and um, behavioral economics and understanding people. So um I lo- and you know that's worked really well for certain brands. Yorkie did it and I'm kind of say, I'm saying this before. I, one of the campaigns I worked on was McVitie's Jif- Jaffa Cakes and we did some sampling in supermarkets and um the campaign they had created was too good to share and we had people like with the biscuit with the biscuits and when somebody said can I have one they go about to give them one they go no you can't have one and it's just it was just a brilliant platform so that that kind of playing with scarcity it's just a, a lovely idea so but I only saw the the campaign as such I didn't I didn't know what I was done so how how much did you commit to this idea of scarcity was was it just an an actual ad campaign or did you kind of let it was it something that had legs beyond marketing, like in terms of how you set up the organization, what did you do? And, and did you actually restrict people from joining? Could you? And did you? Yeah, like the origins of that is great because, um, because I was working O2 at the time and the, um, what we knew is that lower prices weren't, um, they weren't, they weren't compelling enough to cut through. And there'd been a couple of MVOs, like, so there's mobile networks that had launched, in the previous few years that hadn't been successful, even with lower prices. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, and so what we what we needed to figure out was like a very compelling, like cheap price. But we understood that it, that cheap also has connotations of poor quality. Mm-hmm. So we had this interesting thing of how do we how do we cut through in the marketplace to really like really break out and how do we how do we blend the idea of cheap without because like if you think that your phone's not going to work, especially mm-hmm. if you're 20 years old, you know the, the, yeah, there yeah. is no way. There's no way you're going to like the idea of someone not texting you mm-hmm. about the weekend is like life uh, ending for 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 <laughs> like a, a teenager. So so it was a combination of those. We did borrow very very heavily from from like Eat the Big Fish and from Adam Morgan, someone I interviewed in the book later on. Um, but um, uh, uh, but so. The idea actually was inherent in the origins of the brand from the very beginning. Now they've lo- the, the brand is still alive, but they, they left all that behind a number of years ago. Um, and and actually, one of the big influences, would you, uh, if you might remember, I don't know if I read the book or not, but the but Google launched Gmail using scarcity, so you could yeah. only get it through invite, yes. through invite, and 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 so so the real goal was how to get talkability. Right, that was the real goal, right? And and how do you create something that's so outrageously like unique and unfair? Like it was, it really was unbelievable. Like I, I, it's amazing we even got it live. Like I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, don't I don't know if that don't, would happen today. Even, no, and and it is illegal to stop people. Mm. So so like there's I think one of the chapters of the book is that's not even legal Paul yeah. because when I, when I spoke to the to the woman who's responsible for the operations and she's illegal she's like Paul we can't even do this and then over the weekend we figured out that we didn't have to do it we just had to we had to make people believe it was true mm. but we did some really funny stuff so like it was still the early days of the internet but we 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 wrote these 
really, really like outrageous and and definitely like um, letters of rejection, oh. saying saying to be honest with you, we worry that you might even be a drug lord and all sorts of like <laughs> like outrageous stuff. You know, and you know, and we in, in, insinuated that like while we were interested in, in a date, we didn't think it was going to be a long term relationship, and all sorts of stuff. And then obviously didn't send them to anyone. We seeded fo- oh, photos right. of them online, and people got so angry. It was so uh-huh. funny. People were like, like we are going to sue you and stuff. And then we later on up upped it even more by 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 actually hiring a head of rejection. And um, at the time, some of the telcos had these really nice ads about they were head of loyalty and they were doing mm. these ads. So we decided we do a head of rejection. And then we advertised for, for the role of head. Of re- oh, and their job nice. was to go through all these and reject people who we didn't think were good enough. And, and that was, again, just to cause outrage. Um, and it did. It was very, very funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we get away with it at all now. No, yeah, but yeah, and that's a, that, that that commitment to because it would I guess it would have been easy to damn it is easy to make an ad campaign, but to 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 commit to it that it like you know to to hire for the the head of rejection that kind of stuff that kind of commitment is yeah it's yeah I was wondering how much that was true because I knew you'd written the letters because you, you mentioned them in the book but I said were they actually to people or because you couldn't deny people but yeah, like, I, I, you know, I can imagine couldn't. I can imagine the the yeah. outrage that that was sparked but it sounds it like it was incredible the fun. The outrage would be better now, actually, because it would fly so much faster yeah. than it did back then. But but like we were seeding them on forums and forums that I used. The but the other thing about the brand is we we knew where the other brands couldn't go because we mm. were one of them. So like the advertising was seductive and felt more like jeans, and then we had the Japanese one. But basically, we we were we were familiar with all the orthodoxies that were part of telco world, yeah. and they were trying to appeal to the entire to the entire um, like gambit of all customers. And we we were very happy for people who were not part of our target yeah. audience to have no idea what was going on. Mm. You know? Yeah, it was it was Brave. And I'm going to come back to Brave because that's something that runs through the book. I thought it was a common theme and lots of different things, not just in Brave campaigns. But before we before we go there, I had Dave Trot on a couple of a couple of episodes ago, and and he he echoed something that comes up in your book, and you mentioned um, Paul Feldwick. Um, and it's basically this point. It comes to quite a lot that Adland has, has lost touch with with reality, right? Um, with popular culture. Do you think that's that's true at the moment? Without obviously, you know, talking about any specific people or agents or anything like that, but just the industry as an industry of marketers or advertisers, we're kind of out of touch with people. Do you think that's true? Fair. I, I don't know. Uh, Dave Trot's a legend, and and I've been a big fan of him for a long time. Um, and I, like I read most of his books, but the um. I don't personally know whether it's lost touch. What I would say, and you asked, like it's one of the other questions I think you were going to allude to, is I do think advertising has lost its sense of fun. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's got incredibly serious. It's got it's got a very. I don't. I like. I'm not sure exactly the reasons why. And I did like. I did. I did write about this in the book as well. But but I the part of this is a misunderstanding about how advertising works because because like advertising at its best and like so you know you mentioned paul feldick who is probably one of the biggest influences of my life in terms of my career but you know he talks about you know the need to be popular is mm-hmm. much more important than the need to be cool and and it's funny because you can see that come up in a day-to-day aspect of when we're making advertising or campaigns and ideas you can get stuck in a 
in a in a rut where you you're thinking about your own personal problems and you're thinking about whether you think it's something cool. And then when you go to agency world, they think about, well, if it's not cool, it's not going to win awards. Mm-hmm. And is it not cutting edge? And if you've read Paul Paul's work, he talks about like brand, our agencies get caught up in being disruptive. And, and but actually that's fine, but it's, it's, it's much more important to, to, to try and be broadly popular and yeah. entertaining. And that's, that is gone. In like I don't know how much advertising you consume these days, but it's it's not most of it is not that enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and it's interesting, right? Because in the way, just to, to touch to keep going with the humor thing, because in the book you talked about, it, there's a quote. I don't know if it's um, Paul Felderson or not, but like this uh, this idea that um, people don't buy from clowns. So do do you think it's a case that is it maybe a case that I don't know companies companies and marketing and advertising is is just taking itself so seriously now that we that we we you know we see our brands our brands aren't funny you know we don't from by and large our brands really serious i mean it doesn't matter what category and even whether you're a beer the fundamental ingredients are pretty similar across everything so this idea of look taking ourselves too seriously uh, yet we know and on orlando wood and he did great work on this he said that all the evidence points to the fact that humor there's a difference between slapstick and being you know comedy Benny Hill type stuff or actually be having a bit of humour which doesn't because jokes wear out but humour has longevity to it so to have be slightly humorous so do you think it's a mistake um, that we, we've shied brand shy away from it too much I do I do I think it's a big mistake I think like so not everything has to be funny but you're right so humour has this massive spectrum so you have like you have The Economist which can be witty and intelligent yeah. uh, and you have you got you got spec savers, which is kind of populist funny. You you know you have a whole range of of humor, and humor doesn't maybe always travel. You got to be careful it travels across mm-hmm. different countries and things like that as well. But 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 people have there's a few reasons I think. One is the one you pointed to, which is if you're a brand that wants to be taken seriously, you might miss you might conflate that with the idea that your advertising has to be serious. And that's the, the, yeah. absolutely no evidence that that's, that's true at all. Um, and and I, would, I would often suggest people be open to the fact that that, that is a mistake. Um, mm. the, the other thing is this, it's quite hard to do funny. So you, you need to really dedicate yourself. Like you have to go, like if you think of a script and you think of an ad, you think of an idea, if, it depends on what you think advertising works. But if you think, right, where is the USP and where is the message and where is where we tell people we're better, right? Mm-hmm. If that's what's important to you, that's what turns up in the ad. Mm-hmm. But if what's important to you is how do we make this really um, entertaining, then that's what will be the focus of everybody's energy. And, and But if it's not explicit, then it probably won't turn out to be the case. So, so I think it's a lack of knowledge and understanding that that humor actually can be very effective, as Orlando has shown and other people. And then, you know, maybe an over influence from the kind of you know, like management things like that. The other thing is this: you know, Paul Feldick made the point that that when you're entertaining, you're showing respect for the audience. Right. So you're you're not you're saying instead of just going here's a message, like ram it down your throat. Mm-hmm. You're saying we've gone to the effort of trying to entertain you and and that's showing a respect for your audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I think I think he's right, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and because like Byron Sharp talks about this a lot. It's hard, like it's hard in any category to be totally, to be differentiated in any meaningful way in terms of the ingredients or whatever um, you're offering price plans or whatever it might be. But 
but being distinctive is is the role of advertising and that's what can make you memorable and and yeah that's probably I agree I think it's um I can see why it happens but I I think it's it's a mistake to shy away from it I, I want to talk to you about the creative process for a moment so um on the client side, you would have dealt with lots of different agencies. You are, and, and this comes through in the book, you're a, a big fan of share as you go, right? As, as opposed to, and I, I think I'm, as much as I don't like to share on my side of it, things w- which are not done, because you, you can get shot down. I might not explain the idea properly, but it definitely makes, it's better than going way off on a tangent and coming back and being told that, like when, I've, when we've committed too much time to it. So, but this idea about, I know that, is, that, that that's what you believe in, share as you go, and it's not for everybody. But th- this idea of, do you know the story of Paul Rand and Steve Jobs and Paul Rand where he actually said to him, Next, when he was booted out of Apple and he set up Next and, and he wanted a logo and he hired famous designer Paul Rand and, and Steve Jobs said something like, look, I'm, you'll come back, how's this work? You'll come back, you'll show me a couple of different things and I'll pick one. And Paul Rand said, no, Steve, something like, that's not how it goes. Uh, you're paying me to do a logo, I'll go away and I'll do some of them and then I'll come back, I'll, I'll give you one, that's what I think is right, up to you whether you use it or not. If you do, great. If you don't, not my problem, you're paying me. Now, obviously Steve Jobs has never been spoken to like that before and obviously you got you got to be, you know, not everybody can say that to Steve Jobs but Paul Rand had the, had the bravery. So, Steve Jobs was brave enough to listen to the expert. Paul Rand was brave enough to talk to somebody like Steve Jobs like that. And that kind of bravery and trust, I think, is really, really important. And I, I, I kind of see less and less of that for lots of different reasons. But long way to get to a short question. What, what do you think, as a client, do you think that clients are trusting enough of their agencies today in terms of trusting their big ideas? Or, or maybe are they just not selling them properly? Because often what happens is the first idea looks very different to what goes on air. So, do you have trust? Yeah. In our agency. In yeah, a, yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I think that, um, I think that the, um, like, I don't know, I don't know if I can, if I can talk for people in general about mm-hmm. trust. I, I would, I would say that, like, the idea of, sh- the reason people don't share is they are concerned that, their whatever they're working on will either it, it'll it'll kill their deadline or it will it will be misunderstood mm-hmm. in where it is right now in the process. So so you have people who are not experienced or knowledgeable about how you get to the end work who will get hung up at a point that is not relevant or not relevant at the moment. Right. Um, or or they have a strong view on how something should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so. You know, so you know, and this is the way I was trained, which is to have as few people involved in the process as possible. Um, what I would say is a harder environment to to create, but worth it, is if you can help people understand the rules of engagement mm-hmm. and say and say, look, you like we would say to our to our agencies and and teams, look, we like I like to see work within a few days of of a briefing and now my briefings are not just a document like i might spend 50 hours of phone calls between the actual document and as we work through the campaign like i'm very involved um and and so the briefing for me is a starting point um and not an end point and uh and the 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 part of the sharing is to find out where they're where they're going and what they're thinking but we have a rule which is we can't kill it so, right. so, so, and the team have been trained to not kill ideas. Like you can't, 
you can't expect someone to come back within a couple of days and have a genius idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can expect them to say, you know, we we haven't got anywhere yet. We've been thinking about some stuff. We've been talking to customers. So I I, I I hate the long I hate the long wait and the reveal because I feel yeah. that because there's decision points along the way. At, at some stage, a creative director goes. I think we should go this direction. Mm-hmm. And then they spend two weeks on that direction. And I and, and if they're wondering, I wonder, will the client think this is a good direction? I'd much rather they said, we're thinking going a certain direction. Can we, yeah. you know, can we have a quick, chat, a quick chat about that? But it does, it does require a lot of trust on both sides. And it also involves a very high benchmark for everybody understanding what we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. so you, you as a, the clients and the team I work with, the team that worked in the past, Need to be very, very. They need to really understand different models of of advertising. Yeah. Understand process, and the, and the agency um, has to understand like why distinctive assets are important, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you'd be surprised of the drops in knowledge across both sides of things. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it does work really well. I like I've worked with some people I worked for ten years, and. They will share within a couple of days ideas, and they may go, "This is a terrible idea," but here it is. And I go, "Okay, I see what you're thinking," and yeah. you know, watch out, watch out for some sort of legal thing, and you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's definitely, and it, maybe it's maybe it's just the it's just the age the way the way agencies are that we want to give the big reveal it's, and the showmanship and uh, when it's fully because because but a good idea is is going to be a good idea at a very early concept stage, and anytime it's happened to me. And it, it, either it went well, but more so in the times it didn't go well in anything I was presenting. I I was glad, even though I was pissed off at the time. It may have annoyed me at the time, and maybe, and I was kind of, oh, I didn't, have, I couldn't explain it properly. But if I only had explained it properly with more time, but in hindsight, I don't think they would have liked it three weeks later when I'd spent, you know, loads well, more time the, on that's it. Part, that's part of the thing. It's like so, so like like what's what's fascinating about the whole thing is is something a red flag or is it a tonal thing or mm. is the idea structurally not working? You know, and and yeah. and those are good conversations to have. Which is something is structurally. It's it's like like because campaigns have to do different things. So like we were looking at some work there recently. And we're like so like an idea was interesting, but it structurally wasn't going to work, and. And and so having early conversations to go, look, keep that idea in the bag for something else, yeah. but it's not going to work. It's not going to work because here are the reasons why, and we can debate it if you want. But and, but at least you go, okay, I understand what Paul's thinking, and we'd be better off putting our energy into something else. Mm. And and it's okay. And like you know, what you're trying to find out is is an idea, is it going to turn into something wonderful? Is it just going to die? And yeah. and like like it's hard. You know, yeah. it's hard for people to write good ideas. So there's no shame in it, and there's, and there shouldn't be. It shouldn't be as long as people are at a very high level. Um, it sh- we should be open. Like I think part of the reasons why people don't share is agencies spend a lot of time building things to stop their clients from killing good ideas. Right. Like so, they build they build like account managers. They build a whole range of 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 of. Um, whole range of things to try and protect an idea and there's something that make that makes sense mm-hmm. the problem is that the walls become bigger and bigger and you end up in sometimes people working away in an idea that if they just put a call into the client they discover that it can't run yeah because of a range of reasons yeah you know yeah no, no, I accept that, and it's uh, yeah, and I do. I totally agree with it that it's always it, it's more productive. Um, oh, 
so again, and it's, you mentioned this in the books, so you know quite well, in terms of um, pre-test testing ads and 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 the like, the, the famous story, Phil Rumble in, in Cadbury, you know, bombed in research and it, 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 it didn't do anything that, you know, quote unquote, advertising should do in terms of talk about the, the, the product or show the product and the brand name and, and, and everything. And Phil Rumble, look, success is many fathers and, and failures and orphan, but Phil Rumble went with it overruled it was bombed in research have you ever had that or how how would an agency go are you could you talked about being uh, being able to change your mind if you will but w- if you didn't like something or if sorry if if research said that oh we don't like that for a reason x y and z consumer research but you liked it for some reason and the creative agency liked it how would they go about convincing you to take that chance or would you would you would you be guided by or influenced by what feedback from focus groups said yeah, like it's funny. I don't do focus groups these days. I haven't done for a long time on creative concepts. Um, I so I, I've done all sorts of testing, and I just looked at some system one testing today for a new campaign. Uh, we do we do a whole range. Of, like what we're trying to do is find out will this be good. Like that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to find out. Uh, and um, but ultimately, we're the decision makers. So so at the moment, the book stops at me. So I make a call on whether we're going to do something or not do something, and it's it's it, you know it's it's basically it's it sits with me, success or failure sits with me, and it doesn't sit with anyone else. Um, ultimately, it sits with me. Yeah. So uh, so I have to take the heat if it's a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's a whole range of like there's a spectrum of like when are you getting feedback is like at what stage are you past the point of no return um like like do you change your mind because you don't like the research suggests something different and and I, and I think you have to you have to first of all you have to be adult and grown up about the whole thing and you yeah. have to go right what what are we trying to figure out here and, and and then you can break down testing it all like my my dad was a doctor and he laughed at me cuz it wasn't testing like he said this yeah. isn't testing yeah. you're, you're like like you're you're kidding yourself calling it a test but but so but what you're like you think about it a lot of testing is poor application of one methodology for something else so uh, like if you're testing an ad that's got no rational messages in it it's not going to test very well on a rational question and mm-hmm. wh- how could it you know um if you're testing people and ask them do you think you'll buy something in the future and they've never bought it before that's got a really low accuracy rate mm-hmm. because people are really poor predictors of their own behavior in mm-hmm. the future of something they haven't bought before so all those things need to be considered if if, if you're testing something that is, if you are showing people some sketch drawings at an early stage for something that you think will be a highly emotive performance led there's no way they can represent like performance mm-hmm. um so you, so there's no so there's no point in even testing it because it's it, it, you you basically get results back you don't know what to do with them because mm-hmm. they they are not a useful indicator there are other ones where like if you make something so we've just we just shot and made some advertising um, a few weeks ago, and we we did some post production where we haven't graded it yet, but we've we've got a fully made piece mm-hmm. of film, and we put that into System One, and and they can tell us with some reasonable reasonable accuracy whether people will like it or not. Right. And I'm interested in whether people are going to like it or not. Uh, and and some of the strategic questions I already know the answer to because. 
because they're in, they're built into the into the campaign. And so then I've got a good level of understanding. Yeah, you know what? When we go live with this, it'll 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 be it'll be reasonably well. In fact, it'll be liked. It'll mm-hmm. be liked because because people are reacting to almost final finished piece of film on that. Mm. You know, um, I so but. The whole range of things. The like the the computer doesn't tell us the answer. The the we have to make our own decisions, and we like part of it is this. If you get some research back that says it's not good, that's when all the problems start. Because you're right. Okay, do I believe it's not good? Right. Or 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 even do I not want to believe it's not good? Because I've invested a lot of time and effort in this, yeah. and. And that's when the problems start because that's when you get into, this is when your mind starts playing tricks on you. You want it to be good. Mm-hmm. And then and then you might start going, well, you know, maybe the, maybe the research methodology isn't good and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's, to be honest with you, that's where marketers fall is, is like if the, if the agency has been really excited about something that they've created and you've been very involved in that and then you have pitched the idea internally, I've been through all this, and then it doesn't work or it doesn't test well, yeah. whichever way you go, you end up, it's very hard for you to roll back on that. Mm. Yeah, and I guess you're right. It depends why why people don't like it. But like you take the, you take the gorilla campaign I don't know, like I, I, I don't know how he could have gone on and made that ad. If that, if, if that did not work, um, he's fired, I guess. I, I would say he's fired because all the evidence said it's not going to work. So if he'd have pumped loads, of, I was working on that at the time as a planner. I remember the, the Irish client, um, guy called Carl O'Connor explaining the ad to me and he was a bit mad anyway, but he was kind of talking me through it. I hadn't seen a, 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 any kind of um, video about it in advance and I thought he, I literally thought he was gone mad or I thought he was, he's missing a bit of the story, but it was literally like, I don't know, it, it, of course, in hindsight, it has everything to do with chocolate because it's pure joy and you can go back and, you know, retrofit everything in. When you think about the, the at the 48, the, the Japanese ad, right? So that looked like, I couldn't see any rhyme or reason to, to, what that had to do with anything with the, the brand, but was that was that intentional? Did did you say do you know what? This just let's just go with it. Let the creatives go wild here. And and do you like sometimes things that that shouldn't work work? And it, it, yeah. in hindsight, well, you can say it did. But you you talked about by the way. And sorry to interrupt. You say when you look back at some of the decisions you made, some of the work that you created before that you thought was great at the time. And if you're being honest now, even though it was successful, you're being honest now and reviewing it in hindsight. You don't think it was possibly that good anymore you were lucky and that's what you said in the book so luck has a lot yeah. got to do with well, it yeah i'd say a few things i'd say firstly like so the cadbury's good ad is one of my favorite ads of all time right but it has absolutely nothing to do with chocolate and I, it has nothing to do with chocolate there's no point like i think it was an amazing piece of advertising and it looks like by all accounts it was successful um and um but it really had nothing to do with chocolate and to be honest with you even suggesting it's to do with with joy to me I don't buy that either. Um, I, like, I don't really buy that because, like, I don't think people's heads work that way. I don't think people go, "Oh, right, joy is what chocolate and Cadbury's yeah. is about." I don't like. I just don't buy that. What I do buy is that I don't, I don't have that. Re- I don't know what type of research, but if you put that in, in in final film in front of a group of people, and and asked and 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 watched and asked whether it got their attention or whether they loved that build of the soundtrack and whether they would remember that piece of advertising, I'd say absolutely it would do yeah, it, right. Yeah. So it depends. It depends on your methodology, uh, and it depends on what you're asking people to. It depends on what questions you're asking, and and even how you, like a lot of 
like one of the flaws with testing advertising is is if I ask you to look at a piece of advertising now and ask for your opinion on the following five questions, right? It's already an artificial environment because you're. I've been asked. I've asked you to look at something mm. and pay attention, but most advertising like that happens when you're not looking. You're yeah. not paying attention. In fact, you're doing everything to not pay attention. And and so the very first hurdle is how do you can capture people's attention? I think really did an amazing job on that, but I don't mm. think it ended up doing chocolate. Um, that doesn't say it didn't work. I just don't think it ended up doing chocolate. Yeah. Uh, on 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 the Japanese ad, same like same rules apply. So so we had a very successful launch and hadn't planned to do another campaign so quickly, but it was just doing so well that we made a decision to just push the boat out even further. And and we, you know, we ended up making this campaign as you reference, which was in Japanese, but it was basically a music video. And again, mm-hmm. this goes back to Paul Feldwig. So Paul Feldwig said, look, you know, like really amazing ads sometimes are just music videos. And and so our influence of that ad was how would you make a music video? Right. And the only real link, although it was it was extremely clever and a little bit lucky, the only real link is that the song had forty eight right. all the way through it, right, all the way through it, and and, and had go conquer, which was our tagline. Yeah, and 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 so it was it was we it was a safeguard. So we we had a highly disruptive, like what the hell am I looking at? But but the link to the brand was was cooked into throughout the ad yeah. so and and actually so that turned out to be strategically a smarter one than the first one which i prefer but is the one you're talking about which which probably in hindsight probably the first ad is the branding didn't happen till the very end yeah. and this was an unknown unknown brand with no assets mm-hmm. and that to me is a big is a big risk but but at the time i didn't realize it yeah. yeah, and it worked. And it, look, it worked in the end because there was a lot done right and he talked about in terms of where the brand came from. Um, and So bravery is something that, like any of these campaigns, any great campaigns that you talk about that you or I might mention um, that were successful and they connected in culture or anything like that, they were brave because because they were different in the first place. Usually they're, they're going to have to be different because and, and being different involves some type of bravery. But But bravery is really important, not just from it, the ads that you make. And you, you talk about it a lot um, in the book about how you operate internally with people. So, you know, I remember, I think you'd said it that you you were lucky enough to to kind of um, mature in a culture where you could stand up in front of people and say, we'd no wins this quarter, right? And 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 that that not I don't, I don't know what way you say, but but not putting any spin on it on a thing like talking about mm-hmm. this, this is what it was, like that, and that's brave to be honest with you to 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 be to not look for the spin. Because you can find a positive in anything, right? But 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 you were confident yeah, that one. It's that bravery to be able to stand up and go, look, guys, we didn't have any wins this quarter. Sorry, there's nothing I could do. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoof you. It didn't happen. Or bravery in terms of, and you mentioned it earlier on, not being afraid to say, I, I just don't like the work, or I don't like it for this reason or that reason. But I don't like the work, and and you, and you kind of empower people to speak out and say, it's not personal. It's just about the work. It's just I don't like it. We don't like it for X, Y, and Z reason. Or even um, you go further to say seek out the opinions of people who you know will disagree with you or who may not like it. So how important is bravery? Is that something that, are you a brave person and do you look for bravery or do you try and kind of um, nurture people to be brave in, in anywhere you've worked? Yeah, like the answer probably is no. So so here's the thing. I think, I think, I think, I think firstly the word bravery has to be couched in some conditions because, mm. um, like in the reference to the point, yeah, like I worked in a company where where 
where there was an environment, a safe environment, where I could stand up in front of hundreds of people and say, the things we tried hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we were unsuccessful and ultimately we failed. Um, and, uh, or if I even remove the we and say I, it's quite hard because people don't like to get into that kind of stuff. And you have to, you have to get a certain self, a certain sense of confidence to, like you, you mentioned, as you get older, as you get more experience, you, you know, like I often say to people here, if we, if you're not making any mistakes in marketing, it's because you're not making any decisions in marketing. So mm-hmm. it just, it's not going to happen. But I would say though, in that particular instance, that is, that is not due to bravery on my part. That's due to the conditions that were created to be, to, to feel safe. And so that comes from the leader. And, yeah. and that's, a, that's the same where I am now. So, so you, you have to create conditions to feel safe. Now, but conditions come with this, which is, you, that can't be used as an excuse for not using rigor. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to have knowledge. You have to know what you're talking about, and you have to be rigorous. And I often I often look for what's the downside. So, like when we make campaigns or anything, it's I kind of think about it in bets. So is this is this is this a, is this a big bet, mm-hmm. or is it a small one? Is it a bet that I can reverse out of? It, you know, or is it not? Um, and and the bigger the bet is. The the less the more rigorous you have to be that you've made decisions. Like there, I mentioned in the book, but like there's a great thing about, and this is something I only figure out later on in life. But but the the um, the great thing in the book where where um, we often think that a good result means it was a good decision, yeah. but 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 you can make a good decision and be unlucky, or you can make a bad decision and get lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually, if you get better at understanding the conditions of the decision making and really analyze your decision making when it comes to this stuff, you will over time probably you do better. And even if you don't, you don't have to kill yourself because you said, "Look, yeah. I, I I I made the right calls. I made the best decisions based on the following kind of process that we mm-hmm. do things." And and I and I got it wrong. And 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 then you go back and like we did some stuff. You know, I made some stuff recently that wasn't good enough, and I, you know, we went back and worked out why, what decisions had we made along the way, and and what would we do to stop that happening again? Yeah. Now we didn't beat we didn't beat beat each other mm-hmm. up, but it was it was a ser- it was a serious thing, and it was like it's very disappointing when you don't do stuff yeah. that you were hoping is going to be going to be really good. So I think conditions creating conditions for people who do, don't fear it is really right. important because if you start to fear it, you do start to spin. It's yeah. really easy to start moving the goalposts. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is this though, when it comes to bravery within making work, like you're absolutely right that if it isn't going to, if it isn't going to get your attention, if it isn't going to, if it isn't going to grab you, um, if it isn't going to feel different to what's out there, then you're making what some people call a defensive decision. You're you're yeah. you're not you're not you're not really trying to like knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should always try and knock it out of the park. The um, the um, but the word bravery is sometimes misused by agencies because it feels like that sometimes it's used to to get as a free pass client, to get an to, idea to, yeah. to do something they yeah. want to do. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and what I would what I would say is look. I don't mind discussions about bravery, but they can't be on their own. They have to go, here's all the evidence of why 
yeah. we think this is going to work. We can't just go, listen, just trust just me try. on this don't, one. Be, be brave, come on. Have some, yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree, yeah. Because because ultimately you do get fired, you know, like, uh, and you mm. probably should. Like, like, like so I, I, I think, uh, like, there are times when you can actually go, let's, we've been doing really well, things are going really well, let's take a punt on this. And it may not work, but yeah. let's take a punt. Yeah. Um, and there are other times when your back is against the wall and things are going well and you're like, you know what, it may work, but actually getting it wrong could be it could be right. detrimental for morale and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just think everybody needs to be adult about yeah. about about that. And 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 I and I, part of the answer is getting everybody to a high bar. Mm-hmm. So understanding what do we mean by this, like how would we know if it's going to work? Is there any indication that that it could work? Mm. Are there any way like like depending on the place you're in, you can do tests. Say okay, you know, let's make something. Like I I, I spent I spent a long time creating kind of like a test lab to 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 try something and then see if you can roll it at different places and things like that as well. Yeah. So it's hard it's hard to test strategy, but 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 I do think that like. Safe work, like safe work, is actually risky because it doesn't mm. do particularly well, mm. particularly work. So I do think it makes sense to to push to really knock it out of the park. But I, but it can't be in the absence of where's the thinking? Yeah. Why do we think it's going to work? Like what? As opposed to this is this is a great idea. Yeah. Trust us because at the end of the day, it's not the agency that that has to pay the price yeah, it's, it's yeah. going to be the client yeah that's yeah. fair because yeah because taking risks is, is quite different to like trust just trust us and go with us and being brave so it's not it's not a free pass um, you mentioned this um, I don't know 10 minutes ago um, a marketing des- advertising and marketing desperately wants to be a science right really desperately wants to be science and and your dad was obviously big influence in your career um, and you know, I think it's the way in the book you said, look, it's sciencey at best. I think that's the way yeah. you put it in the book. It, that, and that's a bit, and you know what, that that's fair enough because there was a great example, and I just love this story, there's a great example of, um, again, on, on 48, about how you lo- you didn't test something, right? You, you'd gone out, you'd gone with, you'd looked at data that that suggested that young people didn't text, right? And and when you look back at the data or their behaviours and you take that as given, and you, the failure to test that had kind of pretty big consequences to, you called it wrong, basically. So, um, yeah. again, a lot of people won't be familiar with that if they hadn't read the book. Talk to me about that as well and, and how that, because I like, I love that principle. And I think you're saying the book, you can test anything, really test it. Looking back at data, what you uh, what you suppose may or may not happen from what people do or don't do due to the, the constraints of that category, like, you know, young people didn't text for a very good reason. Talk to me about the learning you, you, you got there. Yeah, like I'd say broadly, um, that, and actually what happened in that situation is we, it wasn't they couldn't, didn't text, actually we believed they wouldn't oh, they didn't make phone, phone calls. calls. Sorry, yeah, they wouldn't make yeah, phone calls, yeah. yes. Yeah, and of course, of course, if you think about it, like teenagers, like texting is the language of teenagers. I know like this is, this is 2010, but, but, um, and, and I was pretty ingrained in all that stuff. And and it spent a lot of time on kind of youth culture and things like that as well. And and texting was the language of the young, you know. Um, but the mistake we made was, of course, they don't make phone calls because they'd be charged a fortune for them. Yeah. But but once you made phone calls free, there's lots of people who would happily spend all all night yeah. talking on the phone to their pals because they're not allowed to leave the house after a certain time. So 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 we missed that, and and we we could 
we could have tested that. That yeah. is that would have been. I, I don't know if I explained in the book, but that would have been easy enough to say, right? Let's take a small group of people. Yeah. Let's give it to them for three months. Let's yeah. let's free rate free rate their their mobile phone, and let's just see what happens. Look at let's just look at what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with a crowd. Um, there's a guy called Meldrum um, who um, runs an agency called um, um, Furious Industry, and he used to work for What If Innovation. And and I learned a lot from him, which is if you can prototype something and and test it in a quick way. Why bother hypothesizing on yeah. like 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 a hypothesis is the starting point, which is I want if I did this, would this happen or would it not happen? Instead of trying to guess, so he's got great examples where where they would they would literally go into supermarkets, put their uh, made up packaging on the shelf, and see how many people would actually just pick it up and put it into the basket. Mm. And and it was like it was you know it was you know until they got kicked out for for you know, doing their own merchandising. But all that stuff would give you a sense of whether something could or couldn't work. Yeah. Now, there are times when it's hard. If you've got, like, big strategic decisions, it's hard to test that. But for a lot of time, certainly in places I've been, the question is, if if we don't know the answer and we think a test would give us the answer, why would we not? Yeah. Because it was so, I mean, so obvious. Again, everything's obvious in hindsight, but like it was so obvious looking at the, the data. Yeah, you're right. They don't call because it's so expensive. I just thought it was a lovely story. Um, you know, and you know, the you know, McDonald's do when they're, when they're testing um, a new, a, a new burger or something like that, they, they pick a load of stores and they put it on the menu, right? And they don't have it. It doesn't exist. This is, the, they just see how many people come in yeah. and order. And if you order it, they'll go, sorry, we're sold out. We, you know, we, we, we don't have it left. And, and, but that's how they do it. And it's such a, a, a real, well, that was, an obvious that was, way of doing that was the it. Origin. That was, that was the origins of, of direct response advertising, like catalog. So yeah. back in the day, you'd have these catalogs, and and they they'd be they would advertise a product in it, and if enough people asked for it, they'd, make, they'd go and they yeah, go buy them right. and source and source them. And so, in some ways, it's illegal to do some of that stuff these days. But 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 like a lot of a lot of direct marketing and direct response advertising. I spend a long time in that. Is it's, it's, it's all about testing, but it's it's yeah. about we we will test the response to something before, before we yeah. even go source the product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know you've a market. That makes yeah. it makes yeah. total sense. Um, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. Just one or two more questions. Like, how do you work with creative agencies? Right. So you have a lot of experience, and um, you are, you are probably more experienced than a lot of your agency partners that you work with. Right. So how do you work with that what what way do you have to work them how do you and how do you make sure that you don't just make the ad that you want as opposed to you know because sometimes you, you and you mentioned you can be very prescriptive in terms of what goes into an ad the, the raw materials it has to have the usp it has to talk about that 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 and then you can end up spoon feeding the agency what to make so how do you make sure that you don't do that how do you trust your creative agency partner and how do you personally make sure that you're letting them come up with ideas and you're not just making the ad that you want to do yeah well like i work with a group of people who are much much better at making ads than than I am. As in, they are like they're, you know, they can write really funny, intelligent um, stuff. They've got they've got a really good understanding of how to make things. They they've got a strong like they'll have all read Orlando stuff that mm-hmm. I read Paul Feldick stuff. They'll have read Byron Sharp stuff that I read Johnny Rem- Jenny Rummer stuff. So they so I work with, with a group of people who are really knowledgeable, really skilled, 
and um, and also there's a there's a sense of so I might go I don't like something they'll go yeah Paul but you're wrong mm. uh, and and they're like you know you're not seeing where where we're going with this and I'll go okay let's talk more about it and and you, you know like we all everybody's a strong voice so but the the there's a general sense of it's very democratic in the sense that the like my view is you get a bunch of really knowledgeable experienced people in a room you don't really care who's in charge but mm-hmm. you all are very clear on what you're trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and like in lot so for example a lot of ways <clears throat> we do the advertising we make at the moment everybody understands that we're trying to make really entertaining enjoyable advertising linked to you know a life-changing dream of the lottery like that's kind yeah. of a lot of stuff that we do and and so when we when we have discussions we have discussions like so where's the funny bit Right. Like, where's the so like there'll be conversations like where where are the bits that are going to make me laugh yeah. in this? Yeah. And then I'm I mean like I don't think it's funny yet. And they're like, yeah, not yet, but give it time. And and then they'll there'll be bits will go okay, it's, it's fine. But like this is a long piece of film or a piece of writing. How's that going to work in a shorter format? Are we just so? I would say that that like the other thing is this, we have a kind of broad principle here. It's, it's not about who's right. Like we mm-hmm. really don't care about mm-hmm. who, who, who figured it out. We, we, what we care about, is it right? And I ultimately make the final call on what we do, but, but it's not after lots of decisions and debate. And, and I, I never come up with the, the ideas. Like it's, it's, it's never me. Um, and so that works. It works well for me. It works. I guess it works well for them. Um, the, the other thing is this, it doesn't really matter whether I like it as much as whether people are going to like it. So I mentioned right. we were testing something in System 1. So I, if if people don't like it, it doesn't really matter if I did. Right. Because I'm not I'm not reflective of the entire of our target audience. Um, and and so that's important. And we all know that. Yeah, so yeah. everybody knows, everybody knows it doesn't matter whether like a 28-year-old creative thinks it's good or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, someone in their late forties like me who think is good. It's, it's whether it's going to have broad enjoyability among mm-hmm. our target audience, which is which is all adults. This, like, if, if you're a different brand, it'd be a different, a different target mm-hmm. audience. But, yeah. but, uh, and that's what matters. And and those that's where the debates happen. What we do ask for is that everybody gets to a very high bar, mm. uh, and like a proper high bar. So we we like there's there's no room for there's no room for flappy thinking. There's no room for making stuff up that isn't like you know is is isn't there isn't good strong thinking behind it mm-hmm. um and and you know and there's there's a lot of discussion it's a very it is a very involved process mm. or as involved and you can't get into it unless you're ready to be able to have a lot of debates about what you think is good and why yeah and be ready for lots of debates within it on on stuff but again it's very constructive there's never a dismissiveness inside it it's like we like it's very hard to do good work and i'm aware of that and it's much easier for me to critique work than to be the person who comes up with it on a piece of paper uh, and and so you know we have a we have this kind of a guiding principle which is hard on the work and easy on each other right and and and, and we believe that which means there's absolutely no tolerance for no one should go that's okay, or it's good enough. Right, yeah, yeah. Everybody should go, it, it, is, it, is it good enough? But that doesn't for a moment suggest that the people in the room are not really, mm. really good at what they do. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that. I like that, and it's just, 
you know, you said, and you, you, it comes through in the book. And you said it earlier on, it's, it's not personal. It's just, you know, it's you separate the work from the individual or the agency or the, or the, the, the person. It's just, it's nothing, it's nothing to, not personal at all. Um, last question. Um, so, Excluding any work you've made, because um, I'm conscious sometimes I, I can be a bit negative talking about advertising, all that's wrong with it, it's not what it used to be, it's not as relevant in culture. What Have, have you seen anything lately that is that you weren't, that you're not involved in, so um, your work is excluded? That you got, That's just great, I love it. Um, a piece of creative work that you just wish you'd been involved in, that you loved. Yeah, I have to say, I really like the Cadbury stuff the last few years. Like, I really do. The They... Um, I think they think they've done some wonderful stuff, and I almost enjoy every piece that I've seen from them. I think it's great. Um, RTE did some great advertising for their kind of drama series yeah. uh, last year, which I thought was really engaging stuff. Anyway, I saw a lot of it on TV. Um, There's a great campaign in in um, I came across it on the On Strategy kind of podcast. There's a great campaign in a, in a, in, a, in LA, I think it is for an insurance company, and they have a campaign for life insurance and it's like the, the line is the line the campaign line is uh, life insurance so good they'll want you dead oh yeah you've read about that in the book yeah yeah ah, there's great stuff there's great stuff in that so there's loads of really good stuff out there um, I, I I there isn't like I do think that the work in the 80s and the 90s especially from the UK was really wonderful stuff. Mm. Like, I would recommend anyone go and check out the work, or there's a YouTube video about John Webster, who's kind of one of the biggest influences, uh, creative influences on Dave Tron, I think, as well as as Paul Feldwick and a bunch of other people. And it's amazing to see the populist, ent- entertaining, enjoyable, effective work that yeah. he created time and time again for different brands. And he, he used to go and show the work to all bunches of people. Like, he'd go down to reception, he'd right. go to the... And, and and he was like, because he was interested in what people thought uh-huh. about about what he was creating, and it wasn't cool, but it was very funny, you mm-hmm. know. And it was it was very warm and enjoyable, and and that stuff works. I think the irony of it all is that if you can create really likable, engaging, populist work, mm. it's kind of probably a better better bet of working, you know. Yeah. So I agree. Well, listen, I've I've kept you. Well, I've kept you as long as I said I would. We haven't gone widely over. I'm glad I cut back some questions because I knew I just knew it was too ambitious to have loads, so many questions. But um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck. Keep making great ads. And uh, yeah, so yeah, the book is brilliant for anyone listening. If you haven't read it, um, I do suggest you read it because it's just you know it, it's it made me smile. Um, and there's there's honesty in it, and it's refreshingly honest. And it and and you know you don't take yourself too seriously. You know what marketing and advertising is and isn't. So um, I commend you on that so great job and thanks for joining me today great thanks Dave appreciate that so yes um, we haven't gone too far over but thanks I know you're a busy man so thanks for joining me today and thank you to Andrea and Sound and Kira in marketing and thank you as always to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions if you liked that episode why not listen back to some of our other ever-growing back catalogue of wonderful episodes you will find them by simply typing Irish Times Insight Marketing into your search engine of choice so Until next time, stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.